Ephesians chapter number 4. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is part 3, and it's really a continuation of part 2, which was last week's message, and we're going to be talking about key relationships that uh, are essential for a healthy church, or uh, as the title of our series is, God's Formula for a Healthy Body. Ephesians chapter number 4, our text once again beginning in verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice in verse 13, it's talking about individuals, whereas in verse number 12, it's talking about the edifying of the body of Christ. We need to remember that the church is the people, and collectively we are the church or the body of Christ, but as individuals, we make up the church. You cannot have a quality church without quality individuals. And that works vice versa as well. You're not going to have quality individuals if you don't have a quality church and you've got leadership and followership. A good teacher makes good students and a good student makes a good teacher. Verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, bless our time together this morning. Lord, help us to make good use of this time, say the things that need to be said and leave uh, the things that don't need to be said alone. Lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit, but above all, anoint us with the Holy Spirit that the word said today would be effective in hearts and minds. Bind the powers of Satan as he tries to snatch the word of God away from hearts. He tries to um, uh, hinder, distract and keep you from having your will and way, and we pray that you would have your way in our hearts this morning. If anyone is without Christ, may you touch their heart and draw them to you. Lord, for those that are saved, I pray that you would help us to learn and to know how that we can be a healthy church, and Lord, instruct us and guide us, and Lord, if necessary, correct us, and we pray that you'd get glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's been several months ago, I got a notification that our alarm, this was early in the morning, I don't remember exactly the time, I'm wanting to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 a.m., was barely daylight out, and I got notification that our alarm had went off here at the church, and so... uh, uh, I uh, immediately, uh, since I was close, I came down, and um, uh, just within a few moments after I pulled into the parking lot, the police officer showed up, and he arrived, and, you know, at that time, I didn't see anything that indicated that we had a break-in. We have had break-ins in the past, and uh, 
We have an alarm system, and we try to do everything we can to protect our property. But, you know, those things happen. And we've also had false alarms where a, a sensor or something uh, didn't work the way that it was supposed to and set off a false alarm. So you just, when those things happen, you just don't know. You have to assume that something uh, that has happened, but you you hope that it was just a false alarm and something went haywire and so forth. So, you know, all these thoughts are going through my mind, and so we uh, let the police officer in, and um, he said, "Just stay here." I asked if he wanted my help. If he wanted, he said, "No, you just stay out here, and uh, I'll be back here in just a little while." Well, I didn't really think about where all he was going to be going in in the building. Uh, otherwise, if I would have thought ahead, I would have given him some warning. But um, Brother James, he had to look up in the baptistry changing room over here on the men's side. Some of you are already chuckling a little bit because you know what is up there. You say, what is it? Well, Brother James's waiters are hanging in a stall And when you come around the corner at the top of the stairs, all you see inside that stall is feet. This is the honest truth. It has scared me to death before. And it has scared me when I was prepared for it. I mean, I'm going up the stairs. And I'm like, Mitchell, don't forget about the waiters. Don't forget about the waiters. And you come around the corner and you see them and your heart goes, because it looks, you are just sure that somebody is standing. Police officer came back down and he was like, his eyes were real big. And he goes, that was close. And I go, what, what was it? What happened? And he said, I almost, almost unloaded a clip on your waiters. (laughs) And I go, Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I should have thought about that and warned you. Brother Max says, I'm going to fix this. And he found a different place to store the waiters. <laughs> well, what does that have to do with the message? We'll find out, hopefully, at the end of the message when we get to today's conclusion. Well, the health of the body, the church. We looked last week at the relationship of the pastor to the people, and today... We'll continue, and we're going to look at two other key relationships. And once again, like I said last week, we're not yet focusing on the most important relationship, and that is the relationship between us and Jesus Christ, all right? We'll get to that eventually, but right now we're just dealing with some nuts and bolts and human relationships. Now remember, the size of a church is not the best indicator of the health of a church. In fact, most churches that get uh, very large, uh, become very unhealthy. And uh, I guess the same way uh, is with the human body. If the human body gets too large, then usually there's going to be some, um, some bad health conditions. And I'm not just talking about uh, obesity or anabolic steroids, but if you've ever seen some of these, um, these people that they call giants in modern times, like the wrestler Andre the Giant or there have been people who are excessively uh, genetically large, and I, I've yet to find an incident where they lived much past 40 or 50 years of age. It's just there's something about it that the body cannot handle all of the size. And I think that there's a parallel, sadly, uh, 
when uh, churches become too large. I'm not saying that a large church is wrong. I think that every church ought to be striving for growth. The Lord said in the book of Acts that he added to the church 5,000 people on one day, but it also says that he added daily such as should be saved. And so the size of a ministry is not an indicator of the health of a ministry, but I do believe that being a small, tiny church is not always a good indicator that the church is healthy either. Healthy sheep, well-fed sheep, protected, content sheep tend to reproduce. And so, um, uh, you know, churches should be growing, but uh, just remember some of these mega churches, uh, it's no indicator that they are uh, on the receiving end of God's blessings. It could be based on a lot of other things that aren't so great. And one last reminder before we get further into this message, and that is this, and I I say this with all candor, and I hope that you'll trust that I'm telling you the honest truth, and that is this, that this message or series of messages are instruction and not correction. Uh, I know there are times when a pastor has to correct the flock and say, hey, here's what the Word of God says, and what we're doing or what you're doing or how you're thinking is wrong. And listen, we're not a perfect church, and I'm sure that there are things that I have already said and are going to say today and maybe next week that might end up being corrective to you. I can't answer for that. I'm just simply saying that this isn't like we're having major church problems, and uh, as a pastor, I've got to get up here and try to fix this. There is a time for that, but thankfully, uh, if that's going on, uh, I'm not aware of it. And so I would much rather be proactive and instructive because what happens is, as a pastor, if we neglect these important truths because we're afraid of coming across as self-supportive or having a hidden agenda, if we neglect those, then we get a generation of believers that come up, grow up into church, and they don't understand how these key relationships work. And if we don't understand, then we're not going to apply appropriately. And I think, sadly, that's what happens to many congregations. They start out good, but important Bible doctrines are neglected out of fear or insecurity or what have you. And... Um, and the next generation, they don't understand, and everything ends up, the body ends up becoming unhealthy. In point number one, we looked at identifying the body. It's a local and universal church, according to the Scripture. Local is a local congregation of believers who have truly been born again. Universal is everyone everywhere that has ever truly been born again, and that is what the Bible refers to as the body of Christ. Number two, the relationship of the pastor to the people. We talked about that extensively. Most of the message last week was on point number two, and we just barely scratched the surface of the beginning of point number three. But, you know, I came across a news article this past week that I thought was pretty relevant when it comes to the relationship of the pastor to the people. And this is an extreme, but I think it's worth mentioning uh, I'm sure most of you are aware of the um, the Tyre Nichols uh, situation where the the five officers that uh, the this young man was beaten to death and so forth and you know I I I think that's a horrible thing 
regardless, listen, regardless of the color of anyone's skin, whether it be the, uh, the person who was uh, murdered or the color of the skin of the police officers. Listen, uh, that's not the biggest issue here. It was a horrible thing that happened. But I read an article that was on a national news network, and it was talking about a pastor here in North Carolina, a black pastor in Rocky Mount, who was taking that situation and using it, I believe, unethically, and talking about how that this was a racist thing, and using it to say that, hey, listen, congregation, you need to financially support your church, this church, because we're fighting against all of that racial injustice and so forth. You know what I think that that is? I think that's shameless. That incident had nothing to do with how much money anyone has put into the plate. Nothing to do with it. And I think it's sad for anyone, black, white, purple, or green, to unethically take advantage of these horrible situations. Listen, if you're a pastor, just stick to the book. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. I'm not saying that there aren't political issues that we need to make a voice on, but I am saying this, that we are representing the word of God, not a culture. I'm not here to represent uh, any white person. I, I'm from the state of Idaho. I'm not here to represent Idahoans. I'm not here to represent Europeans. It has nothing to do with culture. Uh, it, it has to do with the fact that we are born-again Christians and we are here to represent the Word of God. I just think it's a shame, and we need to remember that pastors need to be ethical They need to not have hidden agendas. They need to be men of God, not men who have selfish agendas. And that brings us to number three, and that is the relationship of the people to the pastor. I I read a little article last week that David Cloud wrote the 1st of December last year, and uh, it was entitled, You Can't Have Exactly the Pastor That You Want. I'm not going to reread that here this morning, but there was so much truth to it. If you missed that last week, uh, download the sermon or listen to it off of our website. I believe that it had uh, some very valuable, helpful truths talking about how that no church has the perfect pastor. He's going to be strong in some areas and weak in others. And I like what... Uh, what the article said about the old deacon who prayed for his pastor, and he said, Lord, prop him up on his leaning side. You know, you're never going to have a perfect pastor. You're never going to have the pastor that you want. Uh, listen, I, 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 you, you may never have the pastor that you deserve. You know, um, my, uh, we, I, I joke with my wife, she, we were having a particularly Good, good morning. One time she said, she said, I don't deserve you. And I said, I know you weren't that bad. (laughs) You know, we joke about that, but you know, there's a lot of truth to it. And I've said this for years and it's worth repeating all of us, myself, including we're all a piece of work on our best day. We might as well just accept that, that ain't none of us going to be perfect, and we might as well learn how to put up 
with one another and try to make the best of it. Well, I want to talk about the Bible and your relationship with your pastor and uh, give you some Bible truth here. First Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Thessalonica was putting into practice what Paul wrote to Ephesus, talking about the body edifying itself in love. And in verse 12 he said, And beseech you, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. You know, there are certainly people who take pot shots at the preacher. I grew up in a preacher's home, and whether it was deacons, we had a we had a lady that was a member of the church that she hated my dad. And uh, one of my old friends, I was talking to him uh, last year, and uh, he mentioned this lady's name because she hated my dad, and she had, she had she was trying to get rid of him. And you know the interesting thing, uh, we were there at that church for a couple of years. She never attended it once, and we didn't have live stream. You know, she lived just a, you know a few hundred yards from the church, and she was the community gossip, and she was a member in name only, but she wasn't a part of that local church. There was nothing spiritual about that, and she'd probably heard some gossip from some old mossy back deacon that didn't get his way or something, and she had a vendetta, and so she was gossiping and trying to get rid of my dad, and as a teenager, I, I despised that. I wouldn't say I despised her. Uh, whenever I mowed the, the, the church cemetery, which was right across from her house, I'd walk by. If she was on the porch, I'd wave and say hi. And she'd snub me. I mean, it's just, didn't even know her. You think about how petty that is. Well, certainly there are people who take pot shots at the preacher, but one of the best things that people can do for the, the mental and spiritual health of their pastor is to be at peace among themselves. A pastor cares for his flock and there's nothing worse than there being all of this infighting. I've heard I, I heard a preacher say one time when there were families in his church that were at odds, and he just said, well, tell you what, you know, this family or this faction, you just sit over here in the service, and the other faction, you just sit over there. And I thought, don't say that. The Bible says we need to get it right with one another. Because listen, you can learn, hey, maybe you're not, <laughs> hey, maybe they're not, rolling around fighting in the aisle, but there's still contention and friction, and it's grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Just moving to a different place in the auditorium, it still grieves the Holy Spirit. It doesn't fix the problem, and God says we're supposed to fix the problem. Those situations, they happen from time to time, and they will drive a good man of God crazy. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, an elder is talking about the character of the man who's the pastor, whereas bishop or pastor is talking about the office. But basically, we're talking about synonymous people here. And pastors who are giving you the word of God and doctrine, the Bible says that they should be counted worthy of double honor. You know, it's interesting that 
that Paul told Timothy that against an elder, don't receive an accusation except for between two and three witnesses. I've observed and experienced that there's a reason that Paul specifically pointed that out because pastors are going to be targets. Satan is going to make sure that the pastor is targeted, and we'll see why here in just a few minutes. But listen, they should be counted worthy of double honor. Hebrews 13, verse number 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. These are some very direct, easy-to-understand admonitions that God gives regarding the relationship between the people and the pastor. And I remind all of us that last week we saw that the pastor doesn't have dominion over your faith. He's a helper of your joy. He doesn't take the oversight by constraint or for filthy lucre. He's not a browbeater. He doesn't manipulate or guilt trip, but rather he just simply preaches the word. And he's instant in season and out of season. And he's to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. And doctrine. I hope you can see the practicality of this relationship within the church that is absolutely essential for the health of a church. Now, let me say this the pastor cannot be a people pleaser, but yet he is to be a servant. Now, the pandemic caused pastors a lot of grief. I mean, a lot of grief. I, I talk to many pastors, and it's just like, you know what? You can't win with everyone. I mean, one person's floor is another person's ceiling. And I know every pastor is going to have a little bit different take on, you know, vaccinations and on uh, uh, masks and mandates and whether we should, you know, if they say you can't gather. Listen, there was a whole gamut of information and decisions that were beyond our control. And listen, especially early on, we didn't know what was true and what was not. I think that there's still scientific things that we are yet to discover that uh, are going to be the long-term results of COVID. And listen, I didn't know exactly what to do, but I know a pastor cares about his people. And he's going to do everything he can to protect them. And I know pastors that tried to protect their people and they got accused of, you know, being, uh, giving in to the government and, you know, not being a man of God and not having faith. And then the next pastor that said, look, we're just going to trust God and we're going to just carry on business as usual. And they'd get attacked for not having wisdom. I hope you can appreciate that the last few years, uh, during the pandemic, it was not a pleasant place for a leader of people responsible for their safety just was not a very pleasant place. So the pastor cannot be a people pleaser, but he is nevertheless a servant. Consider these verses, 1 Corinthians 9.19. Paul said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. 
You know, the pastor looks at his congregation, and he's not just pastoring the people that agree with him or like him. He's pastoring the people that don't. You know, just like any good leader. And I think that was probably the the biggest reason why we don't have a different president today is because the previous president didn't do so well with the people that didn't vote for him. Did fabulous in representing the people that did vote for him, but not so good being the president of the people that didn't agree with him. And that's not always an easy place to be as a leader. I know as a pastor, you got people that don't agree with you and don't, uh, uh, don't necessarily want to follow you. You gotta love them. You can't dis, you can't disregard them or discredit them, but at the same token, you cannot be the pastor that's just following the squeaky wheel. I hope you understand that. Just trying to get people off their back. We need to follow the Word of God and its principles and be in touch with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if God's saying one thing and anyone in the congregation is saying uh, something else, then, yeah, there does come a time when a pastor needs to have this mentality that, like it or lump it, it's my way or the highway. You probably didn't like hearing that. Listen, any good leader, no good leader needs to be a my way or the highway leader. That's not a biblical way to be. Remember our point here, a pastor is a servant, but he's not a people pleaser. I hope you understand the balance of this truth. No pastor should be a my way or the highway leader, but any good pastor is going to be accused of it from time to time. I can guarantee you that. If he's a strong leader and he's following the Lord, someone, somewhere, sometime is going to accuse them of being that type of a leader. 1 Corinthians 10.33, Paul said, "...even as I please all men in all things..." not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That's the proper servant attitude of a pastor. But then notice also the balance is Galatians 1.10, where Paul said, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ." And so I hope you see the balance there that a pastor cannot be a people pleaser, but he must have a servant's heart. The same situation applies to rules and standards and administrations. A pastor cannot meet all of the needs of the people. He doesn't have the resources. He must see the big picture and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, meet as many needs as possible. He sees and understands things that the people don't. He's not superior. He simply has experience that most people don't have. He's open to ideas and suggestions, but must be strong enough and humble enough to say yes or no to those suggestions based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what he sees as best for the entire congregation. I hope you understood that. A pastor needs to be humble enough to say yes to a good suggestion, but also strong enough to say no to a suggestion that he doesn't believe would be best for the church and not under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
Let me talk now for a few moments here about the pastor and his family. Recently, I heard, I mean, very recently, I heard of a pastor of a very large, well-known ministry who just recently resigned. If I mentioned that ministry, many of you would probably uh, be familiar or you heard of that, maybe even had connections with that ministry. The reason that this brother stated was family-related, and I'm not going to go into what he said, and uh, I was able to uh, listen. They live-streamed the service, and I remember while I was listening to his message to the congregation when he was resigning, all I can say is my gut was just nodding up, and I just my emotions were going all over the place, and I, I literally almost felt like going and throwing up. That's how this resignation impacted me emotionally. But it was family-related. And I want to talk to you candidly for just a moment or two about the pastor's family. First of all, they are under satanic attack like never before. I'm seeing it. I'm hearing about it. And I'll be candid with you, I'm feeling it like never before. Things that I never thought that the devil would attack in areas, and I'm just sometimes scratching my head and thinking, wow, where did that come from? And I know the answer. The answer, it is satanic attack. Secondly, I'd like to say this. You cannot understand the pastor's family unless you've been there. It's a very unique place to be. I know many pastors' children end up going astray. They talk about the fishbowl syndrome. Pastors' families have pressures on them that most people cannot fully appreciate or understand. I would say this to you, that you should appreciate the good ones, but pray for all of them. There are pastors' families that uh, there are pastors who are struggling I'll say it again, I'm so thankful that I've got a wife that is on board with my calling and my ministry, and she is supportive of that. I know many pastors who have gotten out of the ministry, or they have had to basically drag their wives through ministering, kicking and screaming and bucking and always causing all kinds of problems, and boy, I cannot imagine pastoring is difficult enough with having unity and having a wife that is supportive of that. I cannot imagine what some men go through whose wives are not fully supportive. It can be a tug-of-war. Pastors' wives and children can end up resenting the ministry because oftentimes churches will consume a pastor with problems and needs and so forth, and the pastor is constantly putting out fires among the church and the people, just trying to keep things going, and he ends up neglecting his family, I think you can appreciate that that's not going to be best for any church long term. You're putting a band-aid on something that's going to end up causing major infections and problems in the future. Listen, causing them grief, talking about the pastor's family, causing them grief causes the pastor grief. Listen, it doesn't mean that they're untouchable. I'm not saying that at all. 
but they need some added grace, and that's just a fact. If you've ever pastored or if you were a pastor's kid growing up, I think you should and would understand what I'm saying. I think that if you'll just look at this rationally and logically, you could recognize that your family problems may not directly affect your job. You could have problems at home, and so you can go to work, and you can clock in, and you can do your job, and that's just fine. You can effectively do your job even if things aren't right with your family. Not so with the pastor. Preachers all over this country are being forced to choose between their family and their ministry. And folks, there is no choice. Because if a pastor chooses his ministry over his family and loses his family, he just lost his ministry. Can you appreciate that pressure that is on a pastor and his family? And Satan knows all about it. There's a pressure there that is always there. And if you've not ever been in ministry, you cannot appreciate that. But Satan certainly knows all about it. And he exploits that for every every, every bit that he can. Now, let me say this, and I'll move on here to another uh, part of our, our topic here, and that is this, that some pastors' wives take a more active role in their husbands' ministries than others. And, and that's going to be dependent upon the pastor and his wife. And, you know, uh, many pastors' wives, they support their husband, and they want their husband's ministry to be successful, They want to do everything that they can help. And then others, they just, you know, they want to just be a a, a wife to their pastor and support at home. Every situation is going to be different. And I've seen it. I've seen uh, extremes in both areas. And there is no carbon copy example of what a pastor and his wife and the relationship of his family to the church, everyone's going to be different based on who they are. God doesn't expect us to be like someone else. He expects us to be what He wants us to be. So some will be very active in their role to support their husband's ministry. Let me say this, when she stays in bounds of her husband's leadership, cooperation with her is cooperation with her husband. You get that? It's just natural. It's the way that it works. Causing her grief causes her husband grief. And I remind you that this is instructive and not corrective. I hope you trust me on that. I want to move on past the pastor and his wife and his family. I want to talk to you candidly about the pastor and his staff. Pastoral and office staff are an invaluable asset to the health of a church. Some staff are administrative while others are more pastoral. And then you have other men or staff that are a combination of both. And what determines the role of pastoral staff is based upon the gifts that God gives that pastoral staff. Uh, just like it's not fair for, uh, for a pastor, just like it's not fair for a church to expect a pastor to be something that he's not, in the same capacity, it's not fair for a pastor to expect an assistant pastor to be something that they're not. 
what happens is you get an environment that's just based on pressure, almost like a corporate environment where we have to, you know, what's the bottom line? We have to produce or we have to, listen, we're supposed to be a body that is functioning and edifying itself in love. And we cannot do something that God didn't gift us to do. And it's imperative. Listen, just because there's a paycheck involved doesn't mean that we're anything different than what we are. It is still a spiritual business. There are things that we have to function in a very business-like, professional manner, but it is still a spiritual business, not a financial business. Some staff are administrative, others are pastoral, but it is not a competition, it is teamwork. Listen, Acts 6 talks about, I believe, deacons. And, you know, there are some assistant pastors that the reality of it is they are a full-time deacon. There are others who are more pastoral. You take the difference in relationship between Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell compared to their relationship with Brother Childress and Brother TV Paw. That's what we have experience with. We know all about that. All of these different men had different gifts and were all at different levels of God developing those gifts in them. I think, well, I think that that is obvious to all of us. Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell, they function very much like co-pastors. If you're part of the old guard around here, you know that that's how that they function together. And yet the way that um, that they functioned with their staff was different, and it's going to be the same. Uh, it, it'll always be that way. Just like the pastor and his wife, the same applies to the pastor and his staff. When they are functioning within the direction of the pastor, cooperation with and accepting them is the same as cooperating and accepting the pastor. Now I'm going to give you a very, uh, very frank statement here, and, and I'm sure that this could be misconstrued, but I'm going to trust your spirituality and your maturity that you're able to handle what I'm getting ready to say. There's nothing wrong with having favorites. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having, having closer relationships with one over the other. I, I, I've heard people say, you know, a new pastor comes in and, you know, you know, it is, it is more common for a transition of pastor, for a pastor to come into a church and just clean the slate. You know, the old pastor has to be sent down the road and all of the staff, they're basically given their, uh, their notice that, hey, you need to find another place. I'm going to bring my own guys in. That is common. You, you may not, be aware of that, but out there in the Baptist realm, that's the norm. Thankfully, that's not been the norm here at Temple Baptist. But I know someone said to me when they asked me when I came here as pastor, it's like, what's the preview? What's the founding pastor going to do? I said, well, he's going to stay. I've asked him if he would stay. Why'd you do that? That's, that's a horrible decision. And, you know, obviously I've, this is the first time I've done anything like this. And I'm like, what'd I do? Tell me, tell me why. Well, what if, what if the people love him more than they love you? And I said, are you serious? That's, that's the way you're thinking here? What? 
listen, if, if me and Brother Wilson or any other brother for that matter, if we're all on the same page here, trying to lead the people in the right direction toward being more like Jesus Christ and less like us. Why should anyone care? Last I checked, this isn't about our ego. This is about glorifying Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not going to... I'm not Superman here, and I'm going to be honest with you. I want you to love me just like I love... Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. But I don't care if you love somebody else more than you love me. As long as we're all pulling in the right direction toward Jesus Christ, that's that's just a good thing. Amen? This is not a personality competition. And so nothing wrong with having favorites, but beware of carnality. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse number three says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? The reality of it is, is like, hey, if you love Brother Terry or Brother James or Brother Max, or if you have a closer relationship, if we're all going in the same direction that's a wonderful thing, amen? Because we're not politicians and we're not here for our self-love or our ego. We are here for the glory of God and so that we all come to the unity of the faith, that the body edifies itself in love. Hey, listen, why would, why would, why would my stomach care whether I'm eating with my right hand or my left? My stomach says, just keep it coming. Amen? And it's the same way with the body. All right? I hope you get that point. I think it's an important point for the health of a church, not a competition. Listen, we've got multiple staff, and sometimes you may get a visit from me. You may get a visit from Brother Terry or Brother Max. I know Brother James, he is not not on staff anymore, but that doesn't change who he is what's in his heart, and so he is still making visits. Listen, this is the body edifying itself in love, and we're not trying to win people to ourselves. We're trying to lead people to a closer walk with Jesus Christ and meet the needs that one another have. All right, the pastor, and I'm going to quit early here. I'm not going to get to my... uh, It seems like I can't get done with this stuff. The pastor and deacon relationship. Much could be said of this relationship and the problems created when the Bible has been disregarded. Deacons must be spiritual, faithful, loyal, and helpful. I thank God for the relationship that this pastor and the deacons have. I am very thankful for these three men. They have been Huge blessings and support to this preacher, and uh, I could not I could not pastor the way that I'm pastoring without the quality and the character and the loyalty. These men are not yes men, but they are loyal and faithful. I thank God that they'll tell me what they really think, but they'll also they're also willing to follow. When pastors, staff, and deacons work well together 
and the people are accepting of it, it is a great thing for the health of a church. Acts 6-7, it says here, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. It is obvious that it is an essential relationship within the local church. And I've got two more verses I want to give you. The, the, the next one is a very, very short verse, John 10, verse number 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That is Jesus as the example of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. He said, My sheep, they hear my voice. They're listening to me. And I've said this before, and it's worth saying again, uh, God called me to be the pastor here, but only you can determine whether I'm your pastor. Our text that we read here in Ephesians 4 says that God gave every born-again believer a pastor. Everyone, every child of God should have a pastor. And I think that it's an important, I don't think I know that it's an important relationship But I know many people who are sitting in a church, they're saying, well, this is my church. Why would someone sit in a church and not listen to or not let the pastor be their pastor? That doesn't make sense at all. When that happens, you have a religious social club, you have tradition, and you have heritage, and you have nostalgia, but you do not have that working relationship of the body edifying itself in love like God wants us to have. And then finally, in Mark 14, 27, we see that an attack on a pastor is an attack on the sheep. Mark 14, 27, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Well, I didn't get to the relationship between the people and the people, but Lord willing, we will next week. And so the last, uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad to get beyond this pastor and the people and people and pastor relationship. I can, uh, I can, I'm sure that you can understand that no no preacher wants the attention. I hope you understand that the attention is not on me, but on the office of the pastor. And that is what what's important. The principles that I have presented to you today and last week will apply 20 years from now, 50 years from now. It will not matter what the name or the personality, the face that is behind this pulpit, it will not matter. These principles are universal, and it is the teaching of the Word of God. And listen, very few churches actually, in practice and function, put these truths into practice. I thank God that we have that here at Temple Baptist Church, and it sure is a joy and a blessing. I hope that if you have something in your heart, that needs uh, needs God's grace or forgiveness, that you'll make it right. And uh, I want to say publicly and personally, on behalf of me and my family, how much we love and appreciate every one of you. And I have never, in all of my years of ministry, enjoyed ministering more than I have right here 
and right now. And I certainly hope that that will continue to grow. And I certainly hope that you'll be able to say the same thing, that you've never enjoyed serving the Lord and growing in the Lord more than you are right here and right now.